Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hi, I'm Adam Brickmans, and today we're making venison stuffed minicotti. This recipe was created by Daniel Kenworthy, a field staff writer for Harvesting Nature. He writes... Growing up with an Italian mom from New York who worked a lot, you can say pasta was on the menu more than a couple times a week. We ate it so much that I stay away from the pasta as much as possible now. This definitely helps when you're hiking the hills to skip those extra carbs four days a week. Of course, there's always an exception to this rule. For me, it comes in a delicious form of stuffed manicotti. It's similar to lasagna, but what manicotti actually translates to is little muffs. There are large pasta tubes that you stuff with meats and or cheeses and bake until the mozzarella is bubbling. It looks so good coming out of the oven that you can't help but burn your mouth on that lava hot goodness. Thanks Daniel. Ever wonder why New York Italian dishes always seem to be meatier and cheesier than their original Italian counterparts? In fact, most Italian American dishes barely look anything like much of the food found across Italy. Well, there's a reason for that. Let's rewind to the mid to late 1800s, when there were a small amount of Italian immigrants, mostly from the north of Italy, trickling in to escape warfare and turmoil at home. At this time, there were only maybe 25,000 Italians living in the USA. In the next two or three decades, four million Italians watched the Statue of Liberty appear on the horizon with hope in their eyes. This new batch of immigrants arrived from the southern region, mostly from rural Naples and Sicily, and most of them stayed where they landed in New York, though many traveled on to places like Chicago, New Orleans, Boston, and San Francisco. These people were generally desperate and impoverished after overzealous taxation at home. They were farmers and unskilled laborers, and despite what they'd been promised upon arrival to this new land, they still had many hardships to go through. Most of the immigrants settled in what is now Little Italy, living in tight, cramped, and filthy quarters, subject to tuberculosis and other diseases. They found jobs as construction and factory workers, often for very little pay and subject to horrifyingly unsafe working conditions. 
Since most of them had grown their own food at home, New York was a huge change. There wasn't space to do any of the sharecropping or even gardening that they used to do. Food had to be brought in from markets and stores, but luckily, it was cheap. The newly arrived Italians found themselves able to afford things like meat and cheese that were rare delicacies back at home. Most had subsisted on a largely plant and starch-based diet before emigrating, but in America, large amounts of meat were affordable even to the lower class. The recipes they brought with them, southern-based for the most part, were basically put on steroids. Tiny meatballs became the size of fists, gooey cheese filled every pocket of every pasta dish, pizza got loaded with cheese and pepperoni. Eventually the dishes were hardly recognizable as truly Italian anymore, but became a part of a new cuisine in their own right. Italian-American. Many of the Italian dishes that we all know and love today were actually invented in America or changed so much that they might as well have been. Spaghetti and meatballs, for example, that well-known and beloved dish, never really existed in Italy. Italians tend to eat meat separately from their pasta and meatballs would have never been served on top of it. Fettuccine Alfredo was nothing but butter and parmesan cheese on fettuccine noodles. No vegetables, no shrimp, no chicken, and no cream. Italian bread bears little resemblance to the heartier and darker European breads you'd find there. In Italian sandwiches, including hoagies, grinders, subs, meatball subs, Italian beefs, and heroes, were also all created in the States. Caesar's salad was actually invented by an Italian immigrant in Tijuana, Mexico of all places. Veal parmesan was inspired by melanzane alla parmigiana, or eggplant parmesan, which is a commonly eaten food in Italy. You'd be hard pressed to find any meat parmesans there though. Sunday saucer gravy was inspired by Neapolitan ragu, but made with a much wider variety of meats and much more of them. Red sauce isn't actually all that common in Italy, contrary to popular belief. Pizzas came to be topped with an epic amount of meat and cheese, and changed in many other ways as well, such as in crust thickness, sauce style, and size. Americans now have pizza everything. I'm not sure if you'd find any pizza-flavored bagel bites in Italy. Baked ziti was based on the Neapolitan dish pasta al forno, but is made with lots of cheese instead of a simple bechamel sauce, and often includes meat where the original never would. I could go on, but I think you get the idea. I'd like to take a moment to reiterate that I'm not lambasting entirely in American cuisine, or even saying that it's not a viable or authentic cuisine in its own right. I'm just trying to show how much the American experience for Italian immigrants changed the way they, and we by proxy, eat. Non-Italian Americans didn't jump right on the Sunday gravy train though. Arriving Italians weren't welcomed with open arms, like most large groups of immigrants, and it took a long time for Americans to open up to Italian food. Garlic is often written as a disgusting flavor and smell to most Americans at the time. Can you imagine? And French and Italian food was thought to be unsavory, stinky, and ugly because of it. In fact, it wasn't until after World War I that Americans began enjoying the stuff. Due to a loophole in Prohibition era laws, many Italian restaurants were allowed to serve wine, which brought thirsty non-Italian Americans into Italian-American establishments for the first time. After World War II, American soldiers who'd fought in Italy came home with a hankering for Italian food and more and more families began incorporating it into their lives. Soon, cans of Chef Boyardee were being slung around and pizza joints and espresso bars began popping up all over the country. 
Lady and the Tramp, the Disney movie with the famous spaghetti noodle kiss scene, came out in the 1950s and made it official. Italian-American cuisine wasn't only here to stay, it was rising to the top. There has even been some reverse osmosis with Italian-American cuisine affecting Italian cuisine. Historians theorize that pasta alla carbonara didn't exist before the Allied liberation of Rome, where Italians used American powdered eggs and bacon found in soldiers' ration packs to dress their spaghetti noodles. Now instead of getting hung up on authenticity or arguing about specific origins, I say take advantage of both Italian and Italian-American cuisines instead. There are so many amazing dishes just waiting to be tried. Like Daniel's venison stuffed manicotti, for example. This recipe serves four people. It takes about 30 minutes to prepare and about 40 to cook. Ingredients 10 manicotti 8 ounces of ground venison 8 ounces of whole milk ricotta cheese 4 cups of shredded mozzarella Half a cup of grated parmesan cheese 3 cups of chopped spinach 1 teaspoon of salt 2 teaspoons ground black pepper 1 teaspoon Italian seasoning 2 teaspoons fresh chopped garlic 2 large eggs 16 ounces of marinara tomato sauce Preparation Preheat oven to 350 degrees Fahrenheit Boil water in a large pot Cook manicotti for about 8 minutes or until al dente Strain the pasta into a colander Rinse with cold water to stop cooking Season the ground venison with salt and pepper and brown in a cast iron pan. Set aside half of the mozzarella cheese for topping. In a large bowl, combine the venison, ricotta, mozzarella, parmesan, Italian seasoning, garlic, egg, and the chopped spinach. Once all ingredients are mixed, fill the manicotti tubes with the mixture using a piping bag. Another option is to use a Ziploc bag with a cut corner. Add a light layer of marinara to the bottom of your baking dish. Line the baking dish with the filled pasta. Cover all the pasta with more marinara and then add the rest of the mozzarella cheese. Bake for 25 to 30 minutes. Mozzarella should be bubbling and even have a golden brown color by the end. Serve with a fresh salad and a nice red wine. Buon appetito! For more great wild fish and game recipes, be sure to subscribe and follow Antler 